0: This morning, we have the pleasure of welcoming as our guest preacher, the Reverend Alvin Kim, who is currently serving as the minister of Grace Presbyterian Church in the West Hill neighborhood of Scarborough. Um, But Alvin is also a familiar face to many in our church community um, because he previously served as the director of family ministries here at Knox, and his skill in sharing God's word and his love for our community has been appreciated by many. And so if you would, would you join me in praying for Alvin? Good and gracious God, we thank you for the way that you have called skilled and talented people to serve your church, and that we have been so blessed by servants like Alvin, who even as they're called elsewhere, remain dear friends to our community. We ask that as we listen to Alvin reflect on your word this morning, we would hear in his voice your voice, speaking to each of us and speaking to our church. May the words of his mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen.
1: It's so good to be back together again with you and to be in the sanctuary as odd as as it is at this time. just a couple of things off the top. Thank you so much, Nick, for the introduction. And it is good to be back. Uh, just quickly, I just wanted to say happy birthday to my oldest daughter. Uh, so she's turned 14 today. And also, if uh, those who do know me and you're looking at me and you're thinking, where is his ring? And thinking, is something wrong? No, I just, Esther, I'm sorry, I forgot it at home. <laughs> so uh, anyway, just to get that off off the off my chest at the top. But Let's uh, let's dive into God's word here, uh, and it is a serious one today, and it is a good topic for us uh, in this day and age. When does partiality and favoritism rear its ugly head? Unfortunately, the answer is all the time and everywhere. We see it in hiring practices of men over women, along the lines of race and ethnicity, and along shades of skin tone. We see it play out in the alarming statistics in different studies. I remember reading when orchestras started doing blind auditions, musicians were playing behind screens in order that the panel that were judging them and adjudicating wouldn't hire their own students. And in doing so, more women were hired than when auditioning without a screen. So a study was done to explore what was going on. And while some questions arose when the study was recently revisited around the statistics of the study and some of the statistical conclusions— it still pointed to the phenomenon that more women were making it through to later stages and being hired for orchestras. So we see partiality being played out in really big ways and in some small ways, from how kids and youth may be treated by what they wear when they enter a classroom for the first time or when they enter a store, to kids and youth dying because of what they're wearing and the pigment of their skin. That's out there in our towns and in our cities and in other organizations and clubs. And then at 11 a.m., we hear the bells chime on our clocks from the bell tower, and we come to one of the most segregated times in North America, when we go to church. And although it's better in Canada, and here in Knox Church in particular, let's not fool ourselves that we've figured it all out and have it solved. Partiality and favoritism happens. And in the last five months, we've had to have a tough look into the mirror to explore our own prejudices and what we can and must do about it. Through Jesus Christ, we are made people of his kingdom, and the reality is of a glorious vision, as Christian was sharing, of all tribes and tongues and languages and nations, all people praising God together. But on this side of eternity, we've got work to do. And this is one of the themes of James' letter, working out our faith, doing our faith. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, as he says in verse 1 of chapter 2, Jesus should not be debased and dragged into the mud of playing favorites, of showing partiality. Jesus didn't do this, and James was addressing this as it crept into the church. Favoritism has no place in the body of Christ. James was denouncing all favoritism. Although we don't see it in the NIV and some other translations, the word was actually plural in the Greek. Favoritisms. All favoritism is denounced. But here James brings up the specific scenario of rich versus poor entering the assembly. And we see this situation of honor versus humiliation In Jewish thought, those who were wealthy, like the rich young man who came to Jesus asking what he had to do to inherit eternal life in Mark chapter 10, they were the ones deemed blessed by God. Their wealth was proof of their righteousness because God had taken care of them, abundantly taken care of them. So they must be doing something right. The poor were seen as having earned that as well. They must have done something to have earned such a lot in life. But Jesus, the Lord of glory, blows that notion out of the water. It could not and should not seep into the body of Christ to fester and to become cancerous. And so James is addressing it. All people are on level ground coming to Jesus Christ because we are all broken people. We are all sinners in need of God's mercy and in need of of the grace we find in Jesus Christ. By judging them by this standard and treating these two types of people this way, this was not judgment as in discerning, but it's like a crooked judge in a court of law being totally biased based solely on appearance. James rightly labeled this type of thinking as evil. And we must agree. Now in this scenario, he brings up three reasons why favoritism has no place in the body of Christ. And the first is that God chose the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And we read that in verse 5. James was referring back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus had said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And in Matthew 5 as well, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poorer believer, by the very nature of having to be more dependent on the Lord daily, is given this opportunity to be rich in faith. And I didn't grow up poor by any means, but we were very far from wealthy, and it drove me crazy when my parents used to say how rich we were in Jesus. We might not have a lot of money, but we're rich in Jesus. And I I couldn't stand it. I'm like, okay, whatever you say. But looking back now, I see the blessing in it, but... Let's not romanticize poverty or glamorize it. Living in poverty poverty is so very difficult. And we see God's love and care, especially for the least of these. Many poor Christians of that time were rich in faith, loved Jesus all the more, and they truly were heirs of the kingdom. Unless we make this mistake that only the poor are righteous, James had already addressed the more wealthy followers of Christ in the first chapter in verses 10 and 11, instructing them to remember that their wealth is impermanent. But there are wealthy believers. But here the focus is on the favoritism that still plays itself out today. The wealthy and more powerful looking someone is, the better treatment they receive, and that can't be the case. Remember that God has always had a heart for the poor and marginalized. God had commanded his people on how to care for the poor, the orphans, the widows, and how to treat those considered aliens. In other words, cultural outsiders. It is a mark of how faithful his people were. In following the Lord throughout the Old Testament, there were laws to assist those considered the marginalized, the poor. And the standard of how well God's people were doing in spiritual health and in their relationship with him was how well they were taking care of the marginalized. Not in how to the letter they were in following the religious aspects of the law. You can look that up for yourselves in Isaiah chapter 58. That is the mark of what God wanted of his people. The second reason why favoritism has no place that James was bringing up here is it was the wealthy that caused this body of believers harm and they looked down on Jesus, on the name of Jesus. The wealthy landowners were the ones exploiting the poor. They were the ones taking them to court in their land grabs and forcing forfeiture of property and other pressures. So how did it make sense when they saw a rich person come into their gathering to then pander to them? They looked down on them because of their faith as well. And so pandering to them was doing them no favors. Instead, along with verse 1, we see the clear subject of what James was talking about, of not showing favoritism, but James instead is calling them to fulfill the royal law and truly live out their faith. What I see here, what James was getting at is that loving Jesus includes working to level the way to Jesus Christ. Loving Jesus includes working to level the way to Jesus. Leveling can be a destructive term, bringing down structures that needed go, but it is also work of smoothing and working to fill in dips and valleys to smooth the way. And Jesus, uh, Uh, james brings to their mind the royal law the royal law is the law of the kingdom it echoes what jesus himself said what is the most important law and he said love the lord your god with all that you've got but the other is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself and jesus had brought this out of obscurity out of leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 in fact in that initial quote from leviticus 19 the fuller context is the law was around how to treat their fellow countrymen and it's summed up in verse 18 that they should love their neighbors so if the believer lived out a favoritism in their gatherings this was against the law in the old testament context but more importantly it goes against the words of jesus himself and jesus expanded that he asked the question who actually is our neighbor not just our own countrymen or just our family in Christ as he challenged believers of that time and hears when he gave them the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Instead, in contrast to partiality, this is the type of love for neighbors, a love that is unconditional, that is supposed to be free. And partiality, playing favorites, is breaking the law. There is no gimme around it. It's not as if you can get away with a little bit of it, and you're scot-free. James plugs that hole and says, there is no way around it. To break this law is to break them all. You know, my family, we started going to PEI for vacation, and uh, we saw on the beach where people were taking rocks, and they were making archways with them. And uh, so we thought we'd take our you know, try our hand at making arches, at making the arch with these rocks. And so you'd have to find these rocks that were kind of angled in the right direction, and you'd set them up on either side and slowly build it until you got to the middle, and you had to find that rightly wedged, wedged rock for the top, which is the keystone. And if you messed up on one of those rocks and removed one, or as my son would do, just, you know, destroy things on purpose. You know, if you took out any one of those rocks, even including the keystone, the whole arch would fall apart. And this is like the law. If you took away the keystone, it de- devastates the arch, but, but all the stones matter. It all collapses. Taking out any of the stones, the whole thing crumbles and it falls over. James is leaving them no outs. They might have been great in preaching and teaching of the word, they might have spoken in tongues and had prophetic messages spoken over them. They might have had the very best worship. But in failing to love their neighbor with no favoritism, no partiality, they broke everything. And I don't want this to become cannon fodder for people hearing this through a specific lens and hearing this and then saying, See, by saying other lives matter than the whole, we're playing favorites. I want to challenge that and say that those other lives, quote-unquote, have been shown that we have indeed played favorites. Let's face it, we fear what's different, and all of us suck up to the rich and powerful, but this is not the way it's supposed to be when we are together. All are welcome to hear the good news that repentance and transformation and forgiveness are found in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and submitting ourselves to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and working towards holiness. This is available to everyone, to all, and there should be no barriers. So we do this and we live with judgment in mind. Judgment is, is our motivator it sounds scary but but james was finishing up this idea by by bringing their attention that we are judged by the law of liberty this knowledge is to keep us accountable and supposed to help us pause before acting and even paul himself also alluded to to coming before the judgment seat of christ In 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5, Paul reminds us that we will all come before Jesus by putting our faith in Christ, the law we are now under, the law of liberty. This is Jesus' law, and we will be held up to that standard. In 1 Corinthians 3, it was about believers whose work will get revealed by the purifying fire. Judgment is for all of us. Now, this isn't only the stereotype that judgment is only for the bad. We're all undeserving and broken, but after being called by Christ, our designation is to be disciples, is to be followers of Jesus Christ, doers of the word. And the judgment we face isn't condemnation, but a testing of what we've built on top of the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. With the Holy Spirit's empowering and leading and guiding, are we, empowered by the Spirit, Building something together amazing that glorifies and lifts up the one who saved us. Pastor Nick also texted me this week a quote from Oikumenius, a bishop from the late first century. And he wrote on this passage that the law of liberty is the one which does not recognize classes of persons. This is the law of Christ. Whoever shows favoritism is not free, but a slave. For a man is a slave to the one by whom he has been overcome. And that's a quote from Oikumenius, who also quoted 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. And so when we show partiality, when we show favoritism and act on it, just because of appearance, we have become slaves to pandering and elevating, going against the love of Christ, which levels everything, which Jesus set us free. And so why would we enslave ourselves again? In the body of Christ, his church made up of his people, the only powerful one is Jesus. The only one to be lifted up and honored is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, we show respect and honor each other, but we are all, each and every one of us, in need of God's mercy. We all come empty-handed, no merits, needing God's salvation and redemption through Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches us in other places that God lifts up the lowly. In one particular prophecy from Ezekiel in the 21st chapter, he spoke against the evil rulers of his day, and he said this, It will not be as it was. The lowly will be exalted. The exalted will be brought low. And while specific for a specific context, we do see God's heart. This is what the followers of Christ are to live out. Loving Jesus includes working to level the way to Jesus, and so we live with mercy in mind. We see this in verse 13, to receive and welcome the poor is to be merciful, to not show favorites and to welcome all through our doors and that come to our assembly, or when we gather together to worship, to do that is to be merciful. James was painting that showing favoritism to the wealthy and to mistreat the poor was not. He went on further that this was in fact to invite disaster on that day of judgment. To not live out faith following Jesus' example of mercy upon us all is to invite a merciless judgment in the day to come. That thought alone should drive us to work out our faith. Jesus had taught that blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. He said that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, he said that mercy is a reflection of the Father. And so James concludes, mercy triumphs over judgment. This too is a reflection of who God is, who our Lord is. He is indeed merciful, but it is to be true of Christ followers. In being merciful and sharing the love of Jesus Christ, thereby revealing and working out our faith, our mercy reflects the Father's mercy, a mercy that triumphs over condemnation. Loving Jesus should lead us to work to level the way to Christ. James taught that faith with nothing springing forth out of it is dead. It's a stagnant pool of water with no life in it. Instead, he argued for a faith that, like a natural spring, feeds into action. Last week, the Mission Sunday speaker, Solange Belouz, said this, that careful study of scripture with no action is the worst kind of deception. Dead faith is an indication of no faith, and this includes in it the quality of our welcome and loving someone enough to level the way before the transforming love of Jesus, to make it easy for people to come to jesus christ and the transforming work of the spirit who calls us to repentance and calls us to obedience and what james meant in the troublesome verse in verse 24 where he says you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone This was in context, speaking and acting on a living faith in light of appearing before the Lord of glory, seated on his judgment seat, who seeks to see what we as a church have done with our faith. Paul and James were using this terminology of justification differently. Paul was using justified by faith to indicate the initial moment of salvation, of being made right with God, is not by works, not by anything that we bring to the table, lest we should boast. And James is using it differently, that when we come before the judgment seat, when Jesus comes again, and he looks at his church and he says, what have you done? Will we have built upon the foundation. Is our faith alive as we challenge ourselves and working against playing favorites, welcoming all? And if our faith is dead, it's kind of like this. It's kind of, well, the youth group from Knox would remember this. When I turned forty a few years ago, uh, my brother bought me a skateboard. Uh, it wasn't a joke gift; like he, he really bought me the skateboard so that that maybe I would learn. And it's not a longboard to cruise around on and to take some nice easy pushes on, but a board to learn how to ollie and rail slide and do other tricks that defy physics. And I might be able to push myself around on it a bit and I can put on a toque or a five-panel hat, maybe put on some van shoes or whatever else I think signifies skateboarder. And I can hold the skateboard, but unless I'm actively practicing the craft and learning to be more comfortable on it, then what am I? If we don't live out our faith and do something with it, then what are we? And you know the word. It's being a poser. And there's no substance. When we talk about faith and salvation, it's not about scraping in, but what is our faith propelling us to do? Sometimes we have that idea of what's the bare minimum of what it means to be saved. We've got to get rid of that. What is our faith propelling us to do? How is it propelling us forward in this work of leveling the way to Jesus? I want to leave you with an image of faith at work is like an industrial grader, the construction vehicle. It has this big shovel on the front. It has a scraper in the midsection of it. It thing is huge. And it levels the high places, filling in the low places, smoothing the way so that all can come to Christ. Our ministry is to be like the ministry of John the Baptist as he fulfilled Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. Rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. Are we doing that work? And what do we do? It's continuing the work that Knox had already begun a few years ago when opening the discussion to race and justice. It's grappling with it and wrestling with it and acknowledging that it is hard, but doing it anyways. And it's not becoming self satisfied, but asking the Lord what more needs to be done. And it's learning more by getting involved in Knox Youth Dinner and Food Bank serving and listening and growing in love. It's about repenting and coming to the cross and relearning awe in what it took to win us and redeem us. The broken body of the one who gave it all to save us, Jesus Christ. This sacrifice, let it propel us not to scrape in, but to have faith and form our whole lives to work towards mercy. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. God, it, we, it's so easy to hide or to make excuses, to make justifications. We all do it, but Father, forgive us for it. Holy Spirit, change our hearts. Lord Jesus, we look to you as our Lord and King you are the one we lift up and we see your heart for the poor for the marginalized for the hurt Father help us to do that good work of faith to make the way easy to come to you so that people might experience transformation so that people might experience freedom through repentance so that we might experience real life by obeying and coming under your Lordship God, help us to do the work out of love for you, out of a motivation of love. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.